The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We want to welcome our online listeners to our podcast today and our service this morning. And uh, we are in a finance series. We're just finishing up part three of the lies of the Antichrist. Seriously, this has been a uh, an intense sub-series, a part of our uh, overall financial series. And we have been dealing with a very sensitive topic of the lies that Satan does tell the church body members, well he tells the entire world actually, but the lies that Satan does communicate to the to the world are working not 90% but they're working 100%. In fact, even in our little fellowship here this morning, many of these lies are still dominating the way that you're thinking and functioning. If we truly did function as the truth and the principles that the Lord has asked us to, you would have a body member or a body life church that would completely function by faith. And that is taking something that is in the unseen world and bringing it into the seen world just simply by being immovable in what you believe. And one of the key elements of faith that we got to realize is that we do not have sustainable faith. The faith we do have only comes through the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. It is his faith that is actually living inside of us that if we just let go and release the Lord to have that kind of faith through us, that's when the miracles start happening. There's a certain person in this community that I've been praying for and God has given me that kind of faith. Even though when I took or do take the spiritual gifts test, I rate 15 on faith every single time and I have since the early 1980s. My faith level is incredibly high and it's not because of me, it is because of the life of Christ in me. Since I'm so focused on the inward dwelling life of Christ, my faith level is incredibly high. So I'm hoping you guys are seeing the connection here. The more and more you truly experientially understand who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you, your faith level goes off the charts. And you literally can believe things that are in the unseen world into the seen world. The story I was telling you earlier about the pheochromocytomas, uh, I was doing an internship at the University of, of Colorado, and those are the guys that study the endocrine system and all the chemical types of stuff that go with it. The end result was I was a part of an initial team that came up with the label ADD. I'm not proud of that, nor did I really have a choice in it. But I went to those doctors and told them, and they read my, my, uh, you know, the x-rays and blah, 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 and they said pretty much the same thing is, you know, 
there's a 50% chance you'll never come out of that surgery. And when they cut the lines, all of that chemical drains into the system and your system overloads and blah, blah, blah. So after dealing with all the medical stuff, I went to my pastor. And this is another scene I can see very, very vividly in my mind to this very day. And uh, so I came in, I sat down, and he said, what's going on? And so I told him what's going on. And he looked at me, says, um, well, let's just pray that God heals you. Now, this is a conservative Baptist pastor who was a friend. And, and he said, do you believe that God can heal you? I said, well, of course I believe. He said, then let's pray. Now, whose faith was that? Christ's faith, as Janie just described, is where all the power is. He was in connection to Christ's faith. Well, do you believe? He obviously was already connected. So he's asking a question so that we can, we can tap the power of God through faith. And so I said, well, yeah, of course I believe. I've always had a childlike faith. I always have. He says, then let's pray. So we come back together to this point. To make a long story very short, God healed me. That tumor was removed. I want to repeat the story most of you guys have heard before, but I, I want you to understand this issue of faith before we talk about these final lies. Because the only thing that's going to combat these final lies is Christ's faith. There was a day when I was sitting at my desk and a phone call came in. We were pastoring a little church in, in uh, Phoenix. And this grandmother that we love dearly was on the phone. I took the call. She's hysterical. Her grandbaby's just died stillborn birth basically and you know freaking out whatever I'm trying to calm her down as her pastor and you know whatever and she finally basically yells at me on the phone says you're not listening I said yes I am listening God told me to call you you're to come down to this hospital and raise my grandbaby from the dead I'm like wow <laughs> grandma's has lost it. So I said, I'll be right there. So I hung the phone up. I went into my boss's office, which was right next door to me, who is also one of the elders. And I said, Dave, so-and-so has lost her mind. And I told him of the, the conversation. And he says to me, and Dave is, I hate to say it, a lot like me, and I'm a lot like him. Our spiritual gifting was, you put the two of us together in a meeting, and we were, we were fireworks. We got things done. And so he looked at me, and he goes, well, then don't pray unless God tells you to. I said, Dave, she's lost her mind. He said, don't pray unless God tells you to. So with that, I take off to downtown Phoenix and 
I can literally mark the spot on the highway where I had this encounter of faith. And I am just warring with how am I going to handle this? It's a public scene. It's in a hospital. Grandma's freaking out. I can't even imagine what her daughter's going through. You know, I was just doing all this human calculation. And so I'm just warring with this. And then I hear as clear as a thought can be in your head. Do you believe? Exact same thing that came out of my pastor's mouth years before is do you believe I can raise this baby from the dead? Without hesitation. There wasn't any, well, when you calculate the historical elements of miracles and No, it was instant. Yes, I believe. When I went to Phoenix the last time, I had to drive by that spot under that viaduct. I could literally show you the X on the road, spiritually. And then God said, then pray. So I, you know, that was another 20 minutes downtown. I... You know, I'm still going, wrestling, fearing, all this stuff is in my mind. I finally park my vehicle. I go, you know, to the the uh, care unit that she's at. They won't let anyone in. They had security guards at the door because it was a bizarre scene. The mother was inside with the baby, and she wouldn't leave the dead ba- baby. Now it's been two hours and five minutes. And she wouldn't leave the baby's body. There was just demonic. I could feel it. There was this this horrible feeling uh, around those doors. I yeah. Um, this will mean something to the ladies, but this gal had had no prenatal care at all through her pregnancy, so they did not know that she had placenta previa. Um, which means the placenta is ahead of the baby in the birth canal. So when they broke her water, the baby bled out. That's why he died. He was a fully developed baby, and they broke in the, the blood came. So he literally bled out. So that's that's what was going on. So that's why he was still fine. So the... Uh Grandma said to the nurse at the nurse's station, this is our pastor, he needs to to go in, pray for my daughter, and blah, blah, blah. And they wouldn't let me in. They wouldn't let anyone in. And so, I'm telling you, this lady did not miss a heartbeat. She opened up her purse, she pulled out a Polaroid, for you kids that don't know what a Polaroid is, It's an instant picture you take with a camera. She pulls out this Polaroid picture of this ashen gray baby, throws it on the floor in front of me and says, pray. So I got down on my knees and I laid my hand on that that dead baby's picture. And I said, Lord, I am praying by the faith of this grandmother. And I join her with you in believing that you are going to raise this baby from the dead. The father, both the mother and the father, were world champion weightlifters. 
And the father came over, and I looked up, and he was reaching down to choke me. I mean, this guy looked like the like the Hulk. And I mean, you talk about evil. His family wanted the baby to stay dead. Her family wanted the baby to come back to life. Well, God took charge of the situation. The doors bust open, and the daughter comes out just screaming almost in joy, my baby's alive, my baby's alive, my baby's alive. God brought that baby back to life after two hours of being dead. That little guy, I haven't had a recent report, but is very much alive and well and no brain damage. She was always just kind of rode above the norms of everything, and we were getting ready. To, I think I even started the sermon already, and she just comes walking in with this baby and says, you need to dedicate this baby to the Lord. You're his spiritual father. And she hands me this child and little, you know, baby Michael. I mean, you know, he was, he was a little chunker. He's from... Two weightlifters, you know. <laughs> he was a chunk. And he was healthy. And that day we dedicated him to the Lord. So, two years the Lord told me to stay silent on that. It's recorded in St. John's Hospital in Phoenix as a medical miracle. And the reason why I think the Lord said don't speak of it is because people don't believe this stuff anymore. I don't believe I have a gift of raising people from the dead. And plus, even if I did come out publicly about it, they would probably start calling me. And God said, stay silent. Remember those times when Jesus said, go and do not speak of this? Because he didn't want the emphasis on, on the miracle because he knew what humans like to do instead of the emphasis being upon Christ. That's what faith is. So the miracles I have seen, and I have seen a bunch of them in my day, is not because of prosperity thinking. It is because of understanding identity is directly connected to indwelling life, and indwelling life is where his faith is. Someone please read for uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. This I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance of every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Okay, so what's the basic principle being spoken of here? I mean, you, I don't think you'd be surprised of this. And if anyone would disagree with me on this, I would really question your knowledge of the holy. But I can guarantee you that God is an accountant. And every single word that proceeds out of your mouth, does someone want to finish the verse for me? 
is recorded in the book of life. Everything you give in God's accounting book, he is, he is literally writing it down to decide if it's going to give you eternal weight of glory, as Paul said, or not. If you give to get, it doesn't get credit. If you give without your left hand knowing you're giving, it gets credit. Every single penny, every dime you find on the street. That's why I have this habit of picking up a dime or a penny and walking it into the store that it was in front of or giving it to the offering. Everything is seen by God and held in account. He's an accountant. Now let's look at this verse as spiritual gifting. Just read that first verse again. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. And now put the word spiritual gifts in there. He who sows spiritual gifts. He who sows spiritual gifts shall also reap. Now this I say, he who sows Spiritual gifts shall also reap sparingly. That's how you mm-hmm. And he who sows spiritual gifts shall also reap bountifully. Now, when it comes to money, it is far easier for people to give than it is your spiritual gifts. In fact, most use it as an excuse. I gave to the church. Remember that story I told you about counseling the mafia guy in Denver? He was the second most powerful mafia man uh, in the city. And I was counseling his wife. He refused to come in. Had no clue he was mafia. He finally comes in, threatens my life one day. And um, I realize I have a very dangerous man in my office. And here he is threatening my life in this session. And I am praying inside going, God, please give me the words. Please give me the words. I didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, God poured his confidence, courage in me. And I looked at him and I said, if you mess with me. And this is exactly what I said to him. This is a guy that's got his initials on his cuffs and diamonds everywhere. I mean, this guy was a mover and shaker. I said, you mess with me, you're going to be messing with the biggest lawyer you've ever met. And he was an attorney and a real estate broker. He sold skyscrapers for a living. He's like, well, who's your attorney? And I said, Jesus Christ. And he, and he swore at me, and then he said, No one told me you were a priest. <laughs> well, as in our identity video this morning, we are a royal priesthood. And so I said, Well, I am. I knew where he was going with it. Mafia, they pay the Catholic Church. They pay their dues. So they can do what they want to do. Do you see what I'm saying? There's no credit for that. 
In fact, it's subtracted from your account. So the millions of dollars that he has given to the church is being subtracted. And that is where I started in counseling this guy. And he was led to Christ through that whole process. He was so arrogant to say I had two rooms in my counseling office. One was a child's room and one was my regular office with a one-way mirror in between the two. And he said, it doesn't matter what you try to do to me. Take it all away from me. And he says, I will rebuild my empire in that little room in a week. That's the arrogance that man had. Well, he hadn't met our God yet. (laughs) And how the story ended as I got this call, he had this thing about 505. And so he would always come at 5.05, or he'd call me at 5.05, and he called me one day in a panic, not at 5.05, and he said, "Get you got to get down here, you got to get down here. And so I tried to get out of him what was going on, so I, you know, left the office, emergency session, drove downtown Denver, you know, pulled up, you know, in front of his skyscraper, he was in the Pentel suite, and, uh, you know, I just got out and his people take my car and go park it. And I'm going up the elevator. The elevator opens up the entire top floor of this skyscraper is his office. So I come out of the elevator and there's the gal. And I didn't even get out of my mouth that I was here to see. And he was, you know, coming at me saying, get over here, get over here. I thought, you know, there's a mafia problem there like <laughs> threaten his life or something so I go over to where his desk was and he he's crying and he's trying to get through whatever it is he's got to tell me and he said I couldn't even I just I couldn't even get into the building I just I couldn't even get into the building I says what what happened he said I got out of my car and I heard this voice I said well what did the voice say Now, keep in mind, this is the number two mafia guy in Denver. Very powerful man. I said, well, what did the voice say? And he said, get on your knees and repent. Here I am standing in front of my building and I'm... I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I got on my knees and I repented. (laughs) I said, let me get this straight. You're on your knees in front of your skyscraper, your idol, and you're repenting and getting saved. So I had shown him the pathway of salvation several times. He always thought it was Catholic. He didn't get it, but this day he got it. And so I said, well, did did you receive Christ? He says, well, of course I did. That's why you're here. I said, well, you kind of sound like this is bad news. He says, you have no clue. They're going to kill me. And I said, I can't tell you what your faith is going to cost you. I just don't know. But I do know you cannot forsake God or this experience. He not only got his dog back, his wife back. They did lose their first baby. 
There were some price tags this poor guy had to face, even with the mafia. They just put him in an inactive status. But God bless this couple. Many years before I actually worked for David at Victoria's Christian Living in, in Phoenix, was this mafia man, after God saved him and restored his life, I asked him as a homework assignment, he needed to sell this big mansion on the hill, and they needed to buy a house together now that they've been unified. Well, this house they bought together, Dave was the representative of the pastor who was selling this castle. It was in the news, and it was a big deal there for a while. But Dave advised this pastor, you need to sell this thing. It's bad for your pastoral image. Well, we were the ones that were buying it. Not me, but I mean... I was a representative for my people, and Dave was a representative for this pastor. And then the story just kind of takes off from there, and God rebuilds our lives. I mean, it's just miraculous. And that is the kind of faith that a man like that, who's so powerful, and he thinks he has his own kind of faith because he was successful, he would not take no as an answer. In selling a building or selling a human, he would not take no for an answer. That's not faith. That's stubbornness. Faith in Christ overpowers every action of a man. Have you ever thought what's going to be like for you and I as indwelt Christians? In the final years, when this whole prosperity doctrine thing just simply will not work in America anymore. Now, some of you live like my wife and I live, and that is hand to mouth. And so we can't even enjoy the prosperity doctrines. I said to Jane and Jess yesterday, I said, there's nothing I can do to make money. I have no skills. You know, and they said, oh, you could be a graphic designer and, you know, make a bunch of money. Well, I've tried. And no one pays me. Everyone wants it free. (laughs) Because I'm a minister and I give things away free. And so my conclusion at 60 years of age is, I can't make money. Everything I do, I end up giving it away. I can't enjoy prosperity doctrines. Some people who are like this client I told you about, they can enjoy prosperity doctrines because they're prosperous. Or they have prosperous friends that they can tap into. The good old boy society, the reason why it works it's because they're prosperous. And they promise each other prosperity through referring to certain businesses. That's how America was built. Well, what would happen if that no longer was the norm of the world when there are businesses that are literally promoting these large ministries who believe in prosperity doctrines when there is no economy to sustain that, that philosophy anymore? What are we going to do? Do you understand the chain of events that would happen of how many businesses would shut down 
because prosperity doctrines don't work for the church anymore? Do you understand how much giving that is done every single Sunday morning that the government wants their piece of that pie? There's so much giving that takes place in America, we can sustain our own social welfare budget if we wanted to. That's prosperity thinking. That's prosperity in a country. And that is also proving the power of giving of the scripture we just read. But what if it changes? When you're down to a loaf of bread and you take half of that loaf and give it to your neighbor because they got kids that don't have money for food, things change very quickly. And so now we're at the final leg of our journey of this, this sub-teaching we're doing on, on finances and the 16 lies of the Antichrist. And I am telling you one of the biggest deceptions for Satan is to give you an illusion of prosperity while you're in debt. Why would that be so beneficial for the enemy? You know, my mother lived in poverty. My father, sad to say, was the kind of man that spent his money on his things. And my mother and myself and a couple of other of us six kids had to work. I would get off school at four in the afternoon, come home, have supper, drive to Storm Lake to a factory, and I'd work till three in the morning. And then I had three jobs. I mean, this, it was just the way that we survived while my father would spend his money on satellite dishes and cars and whatever. So I watched a woman, my mother, dress like she was upper middle class. And you would never, ever know that my mother was living in poverty. Like the story I told you where we had this one house where it was a man literally a mansion on the hill. And you walked in the front doors, big, beautiful staircase that went up to the second floor and my father and mother would entertain you know people of prosperity while us kids were eating crackers and ketchup that's our big story when the folks were done with their plates we were instructed to take those plates to the kitchen and if there was steak potatoes or whatever else was left on that plate, that is what we ate as kids. Year after year. There is, that as I look back, and writing some of that stuff out from my autobiography, I think, 
That is America. You come through the the gates and everything is beautiful and people have jewelry on and people are 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 getting facelifts and tummy tucks and and everything is cleaning up the external while they're poverty stricken in their soul. That's America. And Jane's right. See, the hour of the Antichrist pulling out the carpet from underneath us is not here. You see, God has not even released him out of his little square box over there in the Middle East. But when he does, these lies need to be bought, line, hook, and sinker, by everyone in the entire world. We're not quite there yet. So what's a nation to do? Well, it says in 2 Kings 4-7, Go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. What story does this scripture come from? The widow's what? The widow's oil. Now, what predicament was she put in? This lady's in a bad spot. Well, there's a lot more in this passage spiritually than most people preach on. The emphasis that's being communicated to this lady is what is far more important is advancing the gospel. You see, she would actually be able to do more if she wasn't in debt. So the mandate coming across the table of, of, go sell your oil. Pay your debt. Get rid of this. So that when these impulse requests come in by the Lord, which are not impulse, you can do it. She was concerned about her debt. Her debt was affecting her giving. Our passage this morning. Her debt was affecting her desire to give. America's $8 trillion debt would require every working American to donate, give. Required giving is what taxes is. 50% of his income or her income we have down there for several generations because the first time I put this together to actually write the book, Finances in the End Times, it was not $18 Keep in mind that book is only a year old. It was $12. You say, well, that's not that big of an increase. Do you know how much a trillion dollars is? Now, they're actually saying, because I went online and literally put a document together for uh, an online piece that I want people to tap into. It comes out Monday. And it is basically a collection of the infographics of what's happened to our economy in four years. The final conclusion of this security report we're going to put out is... 
America can no longer pay the interest rates. Now we're borrowing money on or from to pay the interest rates. That is a bad place to be if you've ever been there. Seven generations. We have to leave this open-ended because population changes and so does this 18 number. Right now, seven generations, 50% of everything you earn has to go to the government to be able to pay interest, to get rid of that. So what we have to have is, Mary? So, Justin, I was just talking about how the, all the presidential candidates, that's part of their campaign, you know? Oh, yeah. That they're going to get us out of debt. So we should all contact them and say, it's not happening. But if someone put America on a budget, not a, we have a budget, but puts us on a budget, and the country actually lived by the budget, that would be a significant leap for Americans and our government. I mean, we'd literally be cutting things. Big government would go to tiny government very, very quickly. The majority of this money goes to big government. So the interesting thing is, is that the certain party that we have as the administration of the White House right now is against big money capitalists. What they're not telling you is... They're racking up more and more and more debt to give it to themselves, big government. So we are losing more and more. They are actually gaining more and more. The prediction is, which we put in the security report as well, the prediction is, is within five years, the, the U.S. government will be so wealthy number-wise and the average American will be ground zero everyone on the same playing field and that's why the new proposal on the desk this week is to increase the taxes for wealthy people which is just short of 50 percent They're trying to neutralize, bring us all down to ground zero, whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor. Well, where's the money going then? It's going to big government. It just simply doesn't work. The only system that does work that hopefully you're figuring out by now, the only system that does work is God's. And that is if you're walking by someone who needs some bread, you give them bread. You don't give them cash. You give them bread. You know, and that's how everything is supposed to work. If someone needs a place to stay and you got a room in your basement, you, you give them a place to stay. That's how the system is supposed to be working. It's not dependent on money. When parents are in debt, their children are in debt. Satan knows this principle to be true. This is why he places an entire family in debt 
by stupid decisions that the parents make financially. Well, part of this report, if you click on it and read it when it comes out, you're going to see a proposal that is on the table to get rid of this national debt. And that is that generations to come will be required to pay the debt of their parents. And right now, if the parents die, most of the time their debt dies. If they change the, the laws on parental debt, whether you want your children to take your debt or not, which you probably don't if you're going to die, they'll be required by law. Because they've done some calculating on how much debt lays dormant when these people die. So they rack up these cards, they rack up, you know, having new cars and whatever, and then they die. There's all this money that they did some calculations on and came to realize very quickly that if they could get that money out of the parents and uh, the kids and the grandkids until it's paid off, that that could sustain least paying our interest. Then the government can do their normal things to pay down our debt. See, they're stuck in this interest thing. They're stuck. They're not thinking principle anymore. They're thinking of just the required interest that's being required of our country on these loans. They've got to take care of that problem. You better believe it's going to be a huge thing in campaigning with these presidents, no matter who they are. They've got to make these false promises because we are in serious trouble with interest payments. Forget the principle. $8 trillion does not count our social welfare debt of $12 trillion. Someone add those two numbers. Still under 50? Well, you have no idea how much a trillion dollars is until you write it out on a piece of paper. The infographic that we're actually going to release, we didn't put together, but we captured it from a, a think tank that put these infographics together. And they have a semi-truck in the middle of this stage with all the money of $18 trillion around it. And you very quickly see about how many truckloads of money. And then it starts out with a stack of monies in front of a guy. Stack of money about that high is a million dollars. And you see very quickly... There is no way we will ever pay this off. There's no way. No plan will ever pay it off. And that is why it's going to require the Hebrew requirement. And what is that every seven years? Jubilee. Jubilee because? Because it wipes away the debt. Wipes away the debt. So who do you think is going to come in and say... Hey, let me just wipe away this debt. You guys have tried everything and every politician and every 
corporation and attorney firms. You can't get out of this, can you? You are really in trouble. In fact, everything that we are talking about financially is for the purpose of the spiritual lesson. So the giving, you just swap it out with spiritual gifts. What is the least thing being done in the church today? It is people functioning on the inward life of Christ through spiritual gifting. So what are they doing? Everything's done through performance. We were driving down the freeway and we Jane looked over at a truck next to us and it said what on the truck? And I went, that's America. We're so proud of what we don't have that we have to pretend what we don't have to give them what we, other people think that we do have. And then when they want those things of us and we can't give them because we're functioning under an illusion, people feel cheated. That's the attitude that the world has about America. You're liars. You don't have what you say you have. And they're correct. You can't look at your own reputation when you look in the mirror. It has to be from outsiders. It's impossible for you to understand this principle unless you go outside this country and look in. And the average people, nations in the world today look at America and call us liars. And then we get all upset. Because we're so proud of our performance. Really? We have the most educated, stupid people in the world living in this country. We are number one in education. And we don't even come close to rating to getting things done in honesty. So we're educating people are getting higher and higher and higher degrees of education and our unemployment rate is dropping, not increasing. It's dropping. Why is that? Because education doesn't equal transformation. We got recent news that Josh Harris is going to, to seminary. He's been passed from one of the largest churches for 10 years. I can almost guarantee you why he has to go to seminary. Cemetery. What's your seminary? Is <laughs> because probably there's people in the church complaining that this kid has been preaching and teaching and ministering the word of truth and doesn't have any education to back it. That's America. Of course he does. That's why I openly admire the place I got my doctorate from, Phoenix University of Theology, because they grant credit status on what you're doing, not what you're going to learn from them. It's a mixture of the two. That is not the way America functions. We push, 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 push to get the paper and then you somehow have been under this illusion, if I got the degree, they're going to pay me more. Really? The country's diving now. We're not, we're not, you know, coming out of a depression. We are diving. 
you're not going to get more money the more education you get. There's more suicides amongst doctorate level status than any status in America. Because they realize that. They get depressed. There's a world going to be introduced to us very soon that's going to shock every one of us. And that's why I try not to laugh outwardly when I get you guys' emails or text messages, when you call me a conspiratorial fanatic. But I got to tell you, I laugh on the inside because I do my homework. I see things coming before they arrive. Because I'm looking down the track. I'm watching for the train of this dude coming out of nowhere. Are you kidding? He's been around from since the garden. And he's very deceptive. Disguising himself as an angel of light. So what does the word desire mean? So when we look at Hebrew, Ratza, what comes from a person being hooked. You see, desire is beyond what you guys said of just wanting something. Because through the indwelling life of Christ, I want things all day long. This is this is Satan. It's like fishing. He's He knows pretty much where you're at because he has to stay above the surface of the water. His demonic forces are underneath. See, he's bound to a certain given area. But I'll tell you what, his demonic forces know exactly where you are and what your vulnerabilities are. So he just like fishes and then we see the thing that we like kind of floating there and we come along and we lock onto it so that he can complete the desire of our heart. So here's lie number 11. Marketing makes a man successful. Well, in the world of ministry, we call this the black hole. Marketing might work for someone who is selling a bunch of bread or a dating service. What they have basically found out is the greatest need for society produces the greatest income. Right? So if people are not experiencing a healthy dating life, there's a need. God will give you the desire of your heart because that's the only way you're going to learn. And that's going to be a struggle until the day I die and the day you die. Our soul is never satisfied. And if we keep that lesson right in front of us, it will keep us humble and dependent at the time that God is ministering to us. So he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Simple fact is people who live by this lie usually end up in a divorce, either divorce in a business, divorce in a partnership, divorce in a marriage, divorce in a friendship. 
it's going to end up in divorce or bankruptcy because God's not into it. Anything God's not into, his goal is to get it into actual bankruptcy. Line number Excuse me, line number 13, success equals being somebody. So now, excuse me, now we're actually beyond money, and now we're into the success status. Have you ever noticed that wealthy people no longer care about the money anymore? They're kind of beyond making more money. And what they're into is the competition of success. It never ends. Competition is going to end up in giving and making and success. It is never ending. Here's line number 14. Success equals compromise. Well, the only way I'm going to get ahead is to compromise with my competition so that I can find the edge and take the lead. And that takes a lie. So in order to compromise with someone, what is really going on here is to compromise is to agree to give up a part of what we consider to be absolute truth for the sake of the argument. In other words, you're spending more effort in the argument and you realize that's not going to get me very far. So you actually lie to the person. You actually slice off a piece of the truth you're believing in to deceive them into thinking you're with them. So you can take the edge again. So you pick up your piece that you left behind and you reactivate it and now you're ahead of them. It actually works. So to put it bluntly, it is an agreement to lie to one another. If we compromise basic issues and discussions, we will ultimately begin to compromise biblical truth in those kinds of discussions. And certainly in our finances. If we obey God, it is going to cost other people more than it costs us. Do you understand that? Your obedience to Christ, the price tag is with those around you. You see, people, if you are uncompromising in your, in your position of the indwelling life of Christ... You're putting other relationships in a position of, of them having to make a decision. Well, I'm not hanging with you anymore. And that goes everywhere into your finances, your church life, and whatever. It is putting other people in this position of having to make a decision to reject. Lie number 15 is it's not what we know, it's who we know. I have been one of the biggest name droppers probably of this generation. I collected a list during those Brown Derby days that I'll tell you have got endless stories. Now I can talk about these people in respects of testimony, whereas back then these talking about these people was to advance me. Power cannot increase until power touches power. If, and if you can understand that principle, you'll see how this whole thing works. You don't touch power, you don't give more power. In fact, your battery will drain. Finally, lie number 16. There is no true honor in being poor. 
Well, you know, if we look at the life of Jesus, we would have to say that he is not a man of honor. What's this about a pillow in Jesus? What's that verse again? For he did not even have a pillow which to lay his head upon. This man was beyond poverty. And then his banker? Who was his banker again? Judas. Judas. His banker was a lying thief and conniver and was going to sell him out. Can we get Satan saved? No. Can we get a demon saved? Satan did not only threaten God to be God. Satan tried it. He tried to take the throne. And during that action of trying to seize that position, he was removed from heaven like a bolt of lightning. And a third of all the angels, which he was responsible for, were removed with him. God never reverses a decision. Are you with me? God never reverses a decision. And that is not a part of this prosperity movement. Part of the prosperity movement is you can change God's mind by begging, pleading, claiming, name it, claim it, stab it, slab it. All these prosperity ideas is to change God's mind. God doesn't change his mind. Once a decision is made, it is irreversible. There's not a demon in that bunch that can have the grace of Christ. But the ones that that demon is harassing can have all the grace they want. It's powerful. It's absolutely beautiful. Lie number 16, there is no true honor being poor. That's actually where honor starts. Poor contrite heart. What did he say in the Sermon on the Mount? What are they going to inherit? All of it. Blessed are the poor in spirit and the poor physically. Oh, there's a special place for them. There's special honor. This is where honor starts, folks, is with being poor, not being wealthy. Our identity matter statement for today is this. Whether my poverty is a result of violating God's principles of economy, refusing to learn about God's character, withholding our tithes and offerings, or simply realizing our need for God. We are discovering God's control of circumstances is normal, natural, and neutral. Those who fight this truth fight God, the author of the universe. If stupid is as stupid does, then we all self-torment ourselves over and in this stupidity. Forrest Gump was right. Big things often come in small packages. That's no joke. Since the world views Jesus as a poor, poverty-stricken nobody, I am strongly reconsider being a somebody. If I try to be a somebody, when the actual principle is is to be a, a nobody, then Galatians 6.3 begins to make sense to me. Someone please want to quote that for us? So he who thinks he's 
something when he is nothing. So Satan comes along and goes, wow. So that's the big one. That's God's big one. He who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. You don't even need Satan's deception. As long as you become what was written on the side of that truck and that it's pride in performance to work to be somebody when you're nobody. Prosperity doctrine people are opposite of that. You are somebody. You are special. You are, you are, you are, you are. The fact is, I am not special. I'm not somebody. I am not significant in eternity. I am none of those things. But in Christ Jesus, I am everything. In Christ, I am powerful. I am a priest. I am a holy and chosen. I am, you see, in Christ. God wants us to keep it separate. So as we finish this part of the finance series of these 16 lies, please embrace the answer. And the answer is the indwelling life of Christ. The whole thing we've worked on with these lies is proving, building, establishing a position of a lie. When Satan steps onto the international political scene, he will give all of us the appearance that he is absolutely the best looking. Now those of you who are listening, I know I did not change your mind on this little mini-series. There's a couple of you that maybe it probably did affect the way you're thinking about your striving for more money. But the goals are you will forget today. You will forget these last three messages. And you will go on performing in performance with your pride. And you'll try to gain more and more money to secure your long-term investments. So you don't have to be insecure. And the fact is that the enemy's coming quickly as Jenny says, to pull that carpet out from underneath you as a society, as a nation, as a world. And you're literally going to fall into a plan that has been worked on for generations. And it will catch you gracefully for about three and a half years. And then it all changes. That tyrant comes out of that suit and starts demanding you to get on your face and worship him. And if you say no, he will torture you. So you realize you have the edge. You have the sharp razor edge that can pierce through their lies and tell them the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.